Click, click. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. It is good to be here today. Um, we, when I say we, I'm talking about my wife and I and, and our church youth group. We just got back from a summer camp. Uh, one week long, it seemed like a month. <laughs> but it was great. And uh, I just thought I'd, I'd mention that. Uh, it, was, it was a camp on apologetics. So they're uh, teaching students how to um, give a reason for their faith, a defense for their faith and, and specifically how to uh, understand uh, Jesus as not a mythical figure but a historical figure and, and uh, teach them also on the truthfulness of the gospel. So it was a great camp and no, no, uh, no hiccups there, no issues. Um, we just want to mention a couple things here on the bulletin this morning. Um, church office will be closed this, this Tuesday for uh, Independence, Independence Day. And we are also having a church lunch, our monthly church lunch, coming up July the 16th, following the worship service. And we will have it in our new building, finally. So that's something to look forward to. Um, if you guys have not been at one of our church lunch luncheons, uh, you're missing out. You're missing out on great food, and you're missing out on uh, fellowship, on great fellowship as well. Uh, so how it works, we will have a sign-up sheet in the lobby where you will be able to sign up for, uh, say, a side dish or a meal or a dessert or a drink or something um, or nothing. You don't have to sign up for anything. It's, it's not mandatory. Uh, but we do encourage you to make it uh, to, to one of those uh, events. It's a great opportunity to get to know other people here in the church. And uh, you know that, uh, that one person that sings off key and you, you always want to turn around and see who it is. You get to meet them in the church luncheon. Uh, no, not really. I'm not saying anyone sings off key. I'm hypothetically. So we have our, our uh, events here on break, uh, morning and evening women's Bible study. They're on summer break. Um, young adults are still meeting uh, through the summer uh, here at the church at 6 p.m. every Saturday. Um, and I think, I think that's it for announcements. So I'm reading Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. Um, we'll probably have the verses here up on the screen. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that's it. Verse 24. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll worship a little. Father, we thank you this morning for your love and, and for the opportunity to come together as your body, to worship you, and to be encouraged by the teaching of your word. And Lord, we pray for those that uh, weren't able to make it today because of illness or uh, any other activities, and we pray for them that you bless them as well. Um, and Lord, we just ask that we may be able to glorify your name this morning uh, by the songs we sing and our prayers. So your son's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. Will you join us in song this morning?
How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. And I repented of my sins and won the victory.
Be seated. Well, good morning. Hope you all are doing well today. Uh, the kids that came back from camp are still looking a little comatose. Jacob's not, though. He's too young to feel that way after just one week of camp. He's vibrant. He's bushy-tailed, bright-eyed today. Uh, as we all uh, know, I, I am bright-eyed and bushy-tailed also, as much as I get so. Uh, but children, you guys can go to Children's Church uh, pretty soon, just FYI. This building is ready. We've got a couple of details administratively to kind of figure out. We're going to have to change kind of our transition points a little bit, perhaps, uh, in getting people uh, to um, that side of the building there, both for nursery and children's church and that kind of thing. Um, so that's uh, just stay tuned for that. Uh, that's coming. Uh, but before we get started, we're going to be in First Peter, and I don't want to scare you, but that is just one verse in First Peter. And some of y'all that grew up in traditional Bible churches are in shock right now. Oh no, should we cancel lunch today? Because you know, the shorter the verse, the longer the sermon. I hope that's not the case today. But we're going to pray right now that it's not. How about that? Should we do that? Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you uh, for the ability to be here today. We, we pray for those who are not, those who are traveling. Father, we know the, the actual break in summer is so compressed that a lot of people are traveling all at once, all over the country, not just from El Paso Bible Church. And we just pray safety, particularly on those who uh, are going to be back with us, and that there would be uh, safety. Um, and a time of refreshing on whatever trip that they're on uh, in that time. Father, we do pray for those who are um, experiencing some health concerns today, um, especially those who are uh, in a therapy facility uh, or are not able to, to attend our services line. Father, we just pray for, for healing, for comfort, for peace. Um, and Father, and, and ultimately more reliance upon you and your goodness in their life. Uh, and Father, I do pray for our time in your word, uh, that it would be a blessing, that it would bring glory to you in our lives as we spend time uh, in learning what is right out of this passage and what you would have us do and what is pleasing to you. Uh, Father, thank you for that, for the opportunity as your children, simply by grace through faith in your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, so we've been here in First Peter for a while, and there's a lot of material that I would just love to review every time. But remember that we have this identity, and we're going to review that every time because it is the key to understanding uh, the, the context of the book, right? That there are certain things that are temporal that are of great concern, right? There's things that are just about this life, but that are important, uh, that we live our lives a certain way. Uh, for our blessing, for our good, to achieve our purpose. That's what choice refers to. 
uh, that is indicative of our purpose and our place that we have in this life, uh, that we are valuable and have a specific purpose to function and to complete while we're here in the midst of our identity as strangers, aliens. Uh, Here on the border, you can't uh, say alien without people getting upset at you. Uh, It's a perfectly good word. There are lots of perfectly good words that I use that don't allow, I don't allow them to be co-opted by people's feelings. Is that okay? All right. Uh, Because people who don't like to refer to aliens uh, don't understand what alien means. We're not, we of course don't mean that they are the Borg, right? Trekkies? No? Y'all know who E.T. is? Extraterrestrial? Okay, so we have to back it down a notch so you guys understand my reference. Y'all are not as nerdy as I am. Okay, fine. Uh, it does not mean extraterrestrial. It means stranger, somebody who has no expectation of the rights and privileges of a citizen in a particular location, somebody who does not have the legal right to permanently reside where they are. Sojourners, sometimes in Scripture we call them. And as such, because we have a purpose to fulfill, and we have um, not the expectation of world, the world's empowerment or the world's ability to do that, Right, We have to rely on our identity in Christ that is a gift from God. And so we have an identity. We have blessings. We have a future blessing to look forward to, our inheritance that is ready, reserved, and waiting. Imperishable is the word that Peter uses to describe it. But now we have moved on into the discussion of what constitutes excellent behavior. Remember, there are some obligations that we have to love one another from the heart, right? And that means love other aliens, other strangers in this land from the heart. Um, That is not always the easiest thing to do, right? Because they're a little weird, right? I'm a little weird. You're a little weird. You have to be a little weird to do this for a living, guys. There's no nobody, none of us who are just normal. It's okay. It goes with the territory. Um... And uh, honestly, there's not a whole lot of analogs to what y'all are doing in the world either, are there? Have you ever flipped through the, the TV and watched like the motivational speakers on PBS every once in a while? No comparison. No comparison to what we're doing here in a, in a worship service. Um, so that's the closest I can get, and it's not even all that close. But we have excellent behavior Because of our identity, because of the things that we're looking forward to, because of the surety of our identity, because of the purpose that we have, then also we're to long for the pure milk of the Word, right? So we're going to choose then not to be lackadaisical or apathetic to God's revelation. You're going to choose to behave, behave that way, to choose not to be bored by that. I choose to try to not be as boring as possible, but I have limitations on that, right? right? Okay, y'all need to acknowledge this, right? I am not that focused on your entertainment. Occasionally, I may crack a funny one-liner, but in the end, y'all need to choose not to be bored. It's time to be grown-ups about God's Word. Um, And so, I'm going to do the best I can, but y'all need to come prepared to do the best that you can in understanding that this is valuable or God wouldn't have bothered to tell us. Supposed to do that. Supposed to love one another from the heart. We're supposed to long for the pure milk of the word. We are supposed to keep our behavior excellent among the nations 
By the way, that's a particular reference. Israel also got dispersed among the nations, but it's a particular reference to the church because the church always exists among the nations as opposed to ever being a nation. We always exist among the nations, and we always have the requirement to keep our behavior excellent. So we have those things. We're supposed to obey God's defined order. As much as it sometimes pains me to say it, government is part of that order. Y'all feel me? All right. Government is part of that order. Doing what is right, understanding the godly uh, definition, the biblical definition of the purview of government. I won't rehash that whole message. Uh, Work in the structure that God has instituted for work and production we're supposed to obey. Wives, bum, bum, bum. Y'all are supposed to obey your husbands. That was last week. Y'all made it through last week, and most of you came back. Obey your husbands within the divinely established order, doing what is right. That is what honors God. It doesn't always bring honor from your husband. Peter is very explicit about that, but that it pleases God. God, and that's the motivation for doing so, even, even if they're disobedient. Even if, and we're going to see why I can say that, even if they're disobedient, believing husbands. You mean even if I have a believer husband, he's still going to be a jerk sometimes? Yes. He's still not going to do everything that God wants him to do all the time. Right, husbands? I only got one husband that's not a liar here today. All right, okay, we got two, you bunch of liars. Okay, Peter puts that qualification in there so you don't think two things, right? He explains that the reason you're supposed to obey your husband is because your chaste and holy behavior is supposed to win a husband even if he's disobedient to the Word. Now that could be, and I think is inclusive, of an unbelieving husband that then needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive life and become a child of God simply by grace through faith. But it doesn't exclude you guys who are married to a believer, ladies, excuse me, who are married to a believer. I was using that colloquially, right? If you're sitting in a crowd of girls, it's funny how often they call each other guys. Isn't that weird? Okay, that's how I was using it. You're not excluded. In other words, you can't say, well, my husband's a believer, so I get to argue now. Because we both got the Holy Spirit. That's not how that goes. You're supposed to be winning him from disobedience to obedience. And you are crucial in that process. No substitute for it. Nobody else has a relationship in which that they can do that for your husband than you do. So now, husbands. I want to tell you, I don't think I mentioned this necessarily last week, but and that is that one of the main, <laughs> the main apprehensions that wives have when I say something simple like that, wives obey your husbands, is the presumption that their husbands will somehow, uh, that their husbands are sitting in the back corner of the smoky study. You also have a study? You still smoke cigars? All your great theologians had studies, and they smoked pipes and cigars, so I'm not saying it's a sin or anything. They think that they're sitting there making up a plan to become a tyrant. 
And if I obey my husband, they say, then my husband is likely to become a tyrant. Now, that might happen once in a while. But wise, I want to tell you something. You don't like that principle, maybe. Maybe it grates at your ears. Guess what? Most of your husbands don't love it either. Most of your husbands aren't sitting around all day trying to figure out how they can manipulate your marriage and your lives and the wisdom of your decisions in order to bring the hammer down on you and be a tyrant in your life and tell you everything that you have to do to make him happy or else. Your husband is way more chill than that. Husbands? Do you all sit around trying to figure out how to tyrannize your wives? If you're doing that, cut that crap out. But that's not normal. And that also goes back to Genesis 3, by the way. Right? The normal proclivity of the male who was sitting there as his wife was talking to a snake. His wife was talking to a snake. A snake! And he sat there and didn't say a word till she stepped in it and ate the fruit and ate it himself. It was a woman which you gave me. Here's the deal, right? Based on that principle, God is saying your natural proclivity, wives and husbands, is insufficient. The natural proclivity of most husbands is not to tyrannize their wives, it is towards passivity. The natural inclination from Genesis 3 forward was the woman's desire would be for her husband and yet he would rule over her. It is adverse to your natural proclivity, right? Meaning that's not just something that you were born with that is your natural thing that you're going to wake up and do like me and barbecuing, right? I just wake up, I was born to it, I feel like doing it every day, I don't get to But if there are no obstacles in the way, I stick a brisket on the smoker or a pig or something. That's not how this works. So I want to caution you because I I know that it grates on your ears to use the word obey in your marriage. It does. It grates on both ears. So now you know I mean it when I tell you I'm not up here concerned about entertaining you. Because I know what it does. I know how it sounds. But it is for your good. I'd much rather tell you how to lose weight for Jesus, right? That's the sum total of most sermons out there. Like Rick Warren actually preached one of those. Like I think it was a whole series and wrote a book about it. Anyway, verse 7, you husbands, in the same way. Again, the the Bible is not teaching what so many people think it does. All right, we talked about this. Sorry, I know I just read a phrase. I didn't even read the whole verse. We're plumbing the depths of expository preaching. Now we're not even going verse by verse. We're going phrase by phrase. In the same way does not refer to a mutual submission environment. We've been over this and over and over, but I think we need to make sure that we understand what he's saying here. 
Ephesians 5 says, right, submit to one another, and then spends all the way through halfway through chapter 6 telling you what the order is and the structure is. It never says, never says, husbands submit to your wives. It never says, parents obey your children or masters obey your slaves. There is an established, divinely instituted order, period, and it never goes backwards. Amen. At least one of those y'all could say amen to, right, parents? You don't have to obey your kids. That's not a biblical mandate. You should heed wisdom from your children. And one day, hopefully, if you don't have adult children, you may have, one day you may have the privilege of being able to heed and hear wisdom from your children, but that is different than an obligation to obey them. Because I've been blessed by that many times. But it doesn't go backwards. And so, and we understand this, right? Because Peter says in the same way, he's not referring to the immediate context because he says wives in the same way. So both of those things in the same way refer to the same thing, which is to obey within the structure that God has ordained. In the same way, you obey the government. In the same way, you obey your boss or your master. In the same way, wives, you obey your husbands. In the same way, husbands do something. We haven't gotten there yet. Calm down. In the same way. In the same way, live with your wives, my NASB says, in an understanding way. Isn't that nice? It's sweet. You guys are just sweethearts. You're so understanding. Can I say it a little differently? It's kata gnosis. That is not about your feels. That's not about your emotions. It is about your brain according to knowledge. It means to grasp something firmly mentally. Isn't that a little different than how your modern English understands in an understanding way? Y'all aren't admitting to it. I know it is a little different. This is where people fall into the foolishness, right? In the same way, right? Wives, obey your husbands. Husbands, live with your wives this way. Live with your wives this way. And it is in the same way. This is the divinely instituted order. Live with your wives according to knowledge. Do what is right. By the way, I should mention in this, in this passage, uh, the word for wives is simply women. And the word for husbands is simply men. Now, you may not understand the import of that because you agree with the Bible. There are Increasingly, an increasing percentage of our society that run around referring to men as wives and women as husbands. Maybe you're unaware of this. I'm not sure how. You need to lift the rock up and crawl out from under it every once in a while, I guess. Um, there is no confusion <laughs> as to who the husband is and who the wife is. That is, not a, that is a gender-specific term. 
a sex-specific term, as in God created them male and female, and males are husbands, and wives are women. That's important. It, it is insanity. It is insanity for people uh, to refer to uh, a male, to refer to another male they happen to be cohabiting with as their husband or their wife. Uh, it just doesn't work. That's not a legitimate biblical category. It is not a legitimate sane category either. Uh, you're, we need to keep those things straight. You, you're not a husband unless you are a man married to a woman, and you are not a wife unless you're a, unless you're a woman married to a man. And if that is not the structure of whatever relationship someone has, it's not a marriage. I know most of you all agree with me here, but we get to go out on the Internet these days. So I need to speak to them too in a little, little bit, right? You can call it whatever you want. I can call myself a banana, but don't try to peel me. Right? I can call myself whatever I want. See, that's the difference, right? When God says we're choice aliens, when he says you are my child, you're my son, Right? That's creative. God is omnipotent. He is powerful. His speech is creative. My speech is not creative. My speech is not creative. I build things, but it does not take just my voice. I have to get a hammer out and a saw and use materials. God doesn't need that. And he has declared the identity of a marriage. He has declared my identity in Christ. He has declared a lot of things, and he creates them in so doing. Uh, and we've talked about the limitations of government earlier in this book. In some ways, I understand. I do think that government has some responsibility in identifying marriage and defending marriage, right? And in some manner, even over identifying the dissolution of a marriage. There's some legal issues there. But they do not define marriage. They don't define it. They don't define marriage. That was not the purview of government here. The purview of government is to uh, punish those who do bad things and to reward those who do good things. And so within that purview, there's some oversight that they have. They do not have the ability to define marriage. Uh, that was free, though, but it's necessary, right? That's the first time I've ever preached this passage where I felt like I had to say the women actually refer to women and the men actually refer to men, but such it is. Don't play the game. We lose at the vocabulary level, oftentimes, speaking of apologetics. Listen to the words that people use and the definitions that they are presuming. It says this, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in a way according to knowledge. Now, live with oikodomeo, that's different than zoe. Zoe just means that you're living, breathing, your brain is firing, your lungs are working. You're alive. To live with means to live in the same residence, essentially. You should try to do that if you're married. Right? I know people who are, are married who don't 
it's not productive. Certainly, extenuating circumstances sometimes make it necessary, but the ideal is that you would actually live with, with them. Live one's life, right? Live your life together with your wife. Um, this doesn't apply, by the way, to the standards don't apply unless there's a marriage that exists, right? It, it doesn't apply. Uh, can I say the word shacking up? It doesn't apply if you're shacking up together. It doesn't apply if you're engaged. Uh, it doesn't apply to roommates or any other situation, no matter how prevalent or common it might be. Most people don't have a problem with that, right? You don't have to obey your roommate, right? It doesn't apply outside of the marriage. It doesn't apply if you don't meet the biblical definition of a marriage, like two dudes in a bicycle. That doesn't meet the biblical definition of a marriage, so the husband and wife dynamic doesn't exist. The only relationship that carries these obligations is a marriage between a man and a wife. Live with her, and I mentioned this, kata gnosis, according to knowledge. Now, it's reasonable. I think it's not an incorrect translation. This is what I don't want to tell you, that what your translation is unreliable. It's not, but your brain is unreliable. Is that okay? Because you interpret what the text says according to how you feel about it, or what you've been told to think about it. And for decades, I was told that this meant to live with my wife in an understanding way meant something different than what it said. The past few generations, at least, I mean, I'm not that old, so I can't address generations and generations before me, but I am a student of history. I think it probably goes pretty far back. It's, you need to live with your wife, husbands, husbands, in a way that understands God's structure for your marriage, God's defined structure, the ordained institution that God has set up for your marriage. That does not mean that you need to be exactly what your wife wants you to be. Because that's probably not right, necessarily. You need to be the husband that God says you need to be. You see the difference there? You see the difference? I tell my wife fairly frequently, she should have married somebody with a little more money and a little smarter and a little less ADD. But the fact is that I'm married to her, she's my wife, and I'm her husband, and now I have to deal with what God says I must be. No matter what I think I should have been better at or what she thinks I should have been better at, the person that I'm going to answer to for how I am her husband is not her, actually, as much as I love her and would lay my life down for her. I'm going to stand before Christ according to His Father's standards, and that is what I'm going to be doing judged on, disciplined on, rewarded on, whatever you want to talk about. So husbands, you need to know what God wants you to be because you will not be able to reliably depend on your wife's facial expression all the time as to your assessment of how well you're doing. I got no amens, gentlemen. Y'all are chicken. Y'all are big, fat chickens. That's all right. I love you anyway. See, for decades, it was strongly implied to me, even perhaps directly taught a few times, that to live with your 
To live with your wife in an understanding way meant to be more emotionally available. Always, sometimes, sometimes said satirically, you need to get more in touch with your feminine side. You need to be more emotionally available. You need to communicate more. Said just like that by another male. You. That is not the way this is being used to live with your wife in an understanding way. See, when the, the guys who succeeded at that, for one thing, guys, they couldn't get a date to save their lives. And we called them metrosexuals. When they hit, yeah? You remember that term? Were you alive then? That was the result. It's, it's made worse results now. We used to make fun of people for this now. Now we have to let them get married to dudes and whatever else. You can see where that led. It was an emotional and intellectual exercise 30 years ago. And now we got people thinking that they can just chop off body parts and change their DNA. That's exactly where that went. That is exactly where it went. That I saw. That I saw. I witnessed that. Guys, I want to tell you something. Your marriage does not require any more femininity than your wife brings to it. Your marriage does not require any more femininity than your wife brings to it. Still got no amens. All right, we'll keep going. God did not design you to bring the femininity to your marriage. That is not your purpose. So do not interpret Scripture to refer to an understanding way to mean you need to feminize yourself. We used to use a term called effeminate. And it was a criticism because it was somebody who was acting in a certain way for whom it was not accurate. There is nothing wrong wrong with the beauty of pure biblical femininity in a female. When a man pursues it, You are denigrating and destroying your responsibility in your marriage. Your marriage does not need you to become feminine. Your marriage needs you to become more masculine. And that is where we've been dropping the ball for generations. Your marriage does not need femininity from you. wasn't God's design in the beginning and it was the initial failure of the man the lack of masculinity and the exercise of dominion God made a woman as Jacob read as the Eitzer the very the unique irreplaceable helper necessary for victory helper for the man not as an example to follow. 
Eve was not created as an example for Adam to follow. Because he'd be terrible at it anyway. Men make the absolute worst women ever. Aside from being ugly, you can spend a hundred grand in some third world country to try to be pretty and not fooling anybody. Your marriage, men, does not need more femininity. Your marriage does not need more femininity than your wife provides. It needs your biblical and consistent and proactive masculinity. That's what it needs. It needs you to embrace the role that God has designed you for and me for. We need to live katanosis according to that knowledge. According to that knowledge. It's not about emotional availability and communication and all that. You need to understand the structure of the institution of marriage that God has defined. Now, I'm not saying that you need to, like, totally ignore the emotions in the room, okay? But that's not what that command is about. We need to live with our wives in a way that understands that. Peter goes on here with a simile. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives, katanosis, in a way that has a firm grasp of the structure of marriage, as with someone who is weaker. All right, go ahead and glare, women. Glare. I am Captain Glare. I can glare right back. Nobody likes that. You need to understand this one also, because there are women that can kick my tail at arm wrestling, probably not too far away from here. This isn't talking about that sort of thing. So if you try to argue that, w- that women are weaker, again, in that general English sense, you're going to have a problem, right? Right? Because women have hugely high pain tolerances. Yeah? Hugely high, much higher than men. Strength is determined in a lot of different ways. The word in, in, in the original language, it does mean weaker, but ex- explicit. it's not referring to necessarily even an intrinsic weakness. It could be one that is structural, and I think that's what it means here. What is the weakness, the limitation, asthenes, that is upon a woman who is a wife in a marriage? What does the husband need to understand about the relationship? Oh, Okay. Y'all need to respond to the question. How is a woman supposed to relate to her husband? Anybody got that one? Isabel, do you have it? You're smiling. How about you, Alyssa? How is the woman supposed to relate to her husband? Y'all aren't getting this. What's that? Obedience. Is that a limitation? You bet it is. Is a wife free to do whatever she thinks is best in her relationship and marriage all the time? No. No. 
No. If her husband has told her to do one thing, she is obligated not to do the other. And that's an asthenes. That's structural. She is, it's not about physical capacity. You have the physical capacity to do all sorts of things that you shouldn't do in the structure of your marriage according to God's divine institution. Men need to understand that. And it has direct application to our natural proclivity to be passive. Right? Most of us don't like to tell people what to do. But you need to live your life as a husband according to knowledge, knowing that passivity can make a train wreck out of your marriage. And that it does rest on your shoulders. It does. That's God's design. It's not intrinsic. Your wife can probably do a lot of things that require strength that are better than you can. Maybe not open a jar of pickles, right? My wife doesn't like that because she's like, if you died, I would never open a jar of pickles anyway. She hates pickles. But she hates that illustration. But any another jar, right? Whatever. So don't, it's not physical capacity, it's the structural limitation of marriage in which the wife is to obey her husband, but most husbands do not want to instruct their wives, partly because they perceive, and maybe they are correct, that their wives are actually more astute in many areas than they are, but they're not willing to address that weakness, guys, me, just twist the knife a little harder, right, in my own chest. But you must live in accord with that knowledge. That's your natural proclivity, but that is not the way to honor the divine institution of merit. See, your wife is not free to act according to her own wisdom in every case. She's not free to do other than you have instructed. Um, Even biblically knowledgeable husbands often suffer from trying to function under a kind of a passive-aggressive rubric. They, they expect a wife to just understand, and then they feel justified in getting angry when the wife didn't obey the instructions that weren't given. That's, that won't work. So what does that mean for you and I to live, guys, as husbands, according to knowledge? What does it mean men who are about to get married or men who hope to get married. That's, that's a hard one, isn't it? Right? In our culture, actually, the prevailing advice outside of the church is don't do it. Don't get married. Under the laws of this nation in this country, it is just giving away half your stuff and your income for the rest of your days, and it is not worth it. You don't think that's out there? It's all over the place. All over the place. Admittedly, if you go into this without an understanding of God's divine institution, it is an, it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to be a train wreck. But here's the problem. In the church, there's little distinction as to the success rate, to be quite honest. So how do, we, how do we do that? It means that we grow. 
Your wife did not marry you expecting you to be perfect. Hold on. Wives, y'all didn't marry your husbands expecting them to be perfect, did you? Okay, because we we've addressed that last week. They're not perfect. And if you, you were living in la-la land at one time, you probably only lasted a week or a day or through the reception. Your husbands are not perfect. But... N- I've never, I've done a ton, I've done more funerals still than I've done weddings. I've never stood before two believing young people or even middle-aged people for whom I described the nature of marriage to them and asked them if they wanted to do it who didn't mean it. Yeah? Didn't mean it. Uh, they, uh, they all meant it. And so we do need to give each other the benefit of the doubt, but men, we do need to grow. In practical wisdom, practical things. Guys, if we need to make more money, (laughs) we need to figure out how to make more money. We should not resent our wives uh, for not taking that role in our our families. If, If we need to strategize how to make a larger transition in our family that requires sacrifice and effort, we need to understand that comfort will kill that. Comfort will kill strategic movements that you have to make in your life. It may mean that you do not follow the exact trajectory of the American dream, right? That your house keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You may need to decide how to make it smaller and smaller and smaller so that you can meet the obligation that you have to your wife. And she may not like it. She may not like it. Right, we, nobody grimaced when I said that. That your husband isn't perfect and he may not recognize you fulfilling your obligation, wives, but it's honoring to God, therefore you do it for God. That's basically what I just said about the husbands. That you may not like what your husband must do to fulfill his obligation to you and to God, but he's honoring God in that relationship. And you need to trust him to do that. I keep my club in the office, my caveman club. I know how it sounds to a lot of people. I know that. We need to grow in practical things. If we need better employment, we need to seek better employment. If we need to set goals, we need to set goals. We need to set standards. Set those standards for self-discipline, for discipline within the home. But spiritually, too, to know out of the potential choices that you could make, which ones are the most honoring to God in this life? And to make those. Growing in wisdom and knowledge. Because one of the things that you are supposed to do is to instruct your wife about God's Word and about spiritual things. 
that is an expectation of Scripture for a marriage. I don't know many men who are prepared to do that on the day of their, their wedding, actually. And so we need to keep that in view if you're not married yet, young men. You're told that you need to get all of your, your ducks in a row, right, as far as your earning and your employment, and you have to have your... No problem strategizing those things. No problem there, really. You have to pay your bills, right? So that's another thing I didn't used to have to say. Joe Biden is not going to pay your bills. You've got to pay your bills. And so you do have to have a way to do that. But do not do that at the expense of the higher obligation. God will honor your faithfulness within the structure of marriage if you prioritize what is pleasing and what is right in his eyes. Therefore, you should not neglect the Word of God in your life and spiritually leading in your family. And you do need to trust God in order to do that. Because the decisions that you come to when you are leading spiritually in your home will not always satisfy the prosperity trajectory that we're all told we're supposed to hit. Right? Y'all don't go to a prosperity church. You go to boring Pastor Josh church. So you don't hold a, a prosperity gospel, but you as Americans still have a prosperity mindset. You think that if you're honoring to God and you do the right things um, and you, you follow these principles, I mean, some of you are members of the church of Dave Ramsey even, you know, you just expect that life is going to get better like this. Sometimes you have to strategically make the decision for your family and in your marriage to make your life less prosperous, less prosperous, so that it will be spiritually more healthy. And everybody's brains just got scrambled. Again, you've got to pay your bills. And you need to do what you need to do to pay your bills, gentlemen. Make wise decisions. Prioritize spiritual things and your family and teaching your family, educating them in the Word. We're not even finished with this one verse yet. Boring Pastor Josh Church indeed. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives according to knowledge as with someone who has a limitation, someone who's weaker. Since she is a woman, she fills the role that God has defined in your marriage. And show her honor. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Guys, that does not mean an unlimited shoe budget. We have any shoe addicts in here? We have some male shoe addicts, if I understand correctly. Sneakers. Showing your wife honor is not necessarily handing her a credit card with no limit on it. That's the way it's often perceived. I provide, I earn, I whatever. That's actually mailing it in, guys. If that's your sole focus on your marriage, that's mailing it in. That's actually ignoring, 
ignoring the mandates in the Bible as to your marriage. Honor your wife by leading in your family. Accord her honor. The idea is to give somebody what they are due. Sometimes it's money. Let the elders who rule well be worthy of double honor. I think it's actually he's talking about their pay, their remuneration. Sometimes it's that, but it's what is due. Your wife is due honor and respect. And you are obligated to give it because that's what's pleasing to God. This is also how I know that the disobedient husbands in the previous section are potentially believers. Nobody likes that. You like to think that Jesus fixes all your problems and makes you obedient and completely righteous. This wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life with her husband. They're both believers. They're both believers. A lot of times we focus as teachers and pastors on making sure that our young people don't even bother dating someone who's not a believer. That's a good start. But it is insufficient. It's insufficient, actually. Fathers, this is to you you need to have a strong opinion as to the, the, the young men that your daughters are involved with. And it needs to be not mailing it in on the basis of whether that person is going to heaven when they die. That is not sufficient for people to understand the framework and the God divinely institute, instituted marriage program. They need to love the Lord, not simply be going to heaven when they die. And that opinion should not be anonymous. I've run into so many fathers that don't feel that they can even voice an opinion about the loser that their daughter is dating because he's going to heaven when they die. You're obligated to tell your daughter that young man is a loser. He may not be a loser his whole life, and God forbid that he would be that way, but you cannot gamble on him right now. We have a joke, right? But I, well, I shouldn't repeat the joke. I have one daughter. One. Five sons. One daughter. Let me tell you how seriously I take that. He doesn't even exist yet, and I've already told her he's excluded. <laughs> and I take it seriously. And I mean it. Our wives deserve honor because, because they're of intrinsic value, intrinsic ability, God-given ability made to bear the image of man, together with man, to bear the image of God, co-heirs, heirs along with us of the grace of life who have chosen, chosen the righteous way of obeying their husbands. It is not because they're lesser. It is not because they have less value or less wisdom or less intelligence or less knowledge. All the stupid things that we get accused of saying from this passage. It is precisely because women are absolutely equal in essence to men, equal in value and capacity, equal choosing to obey their husbands within the context of marriage according to God's divinely ordered structure that they deserve honor. And we don't have a problem with this at El Paso Bible Church about people denigrating their wives, particularly not in front of me. But let's just say, don't do it. 
Your wives deserve honor. Honor. And Peter says this finally, this purpose. Honor, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Seems kind of an odd purpose, doesn't it? Yeah? It's a little bit strange, I think, until we, we kind of bring it down to kind of brass tacks. Um, Paul says that, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, anybody who gets married is going to have trouble in this life. I wish that everyone would be like me. Can we all agree on that point? If you get married, there are unique troubles that you experience in this life that you don't experience as a single person. Everyone's looking at me like I'm the main trouble in my marriage. That could be. That could be. And when you experience troubles, what does a human being do? They deflect. I know you do it. I do it. I want to shift the blame. It's not particularly the psychological disorder known as gaslighting every time or just straight-up narcissism, though those things exist. When you, when you Jesus juke your deflection, when you try to Christianize it, it sounds like a prayer request. It has this function with gossip too, but that's not today's sermon. When you try to Christianize your deflection, it sounds a lot like a prayer request. We need to understand where we are in God's established order so that we do not pray against it. And we are tempted to do that when we are deflecting because of troubles, men. The sum total of a lot of our prayers when we experience troubles, frankly, is I wish my wife would man up. See how stupid that sounds? If you're praying that your wife would man up, you need to suck it up, gentlemen, and stop doing that. You're praying against God's established order for marriage within His divine institution, and she's not the one that needs to suck it up. You are. I am. That's just the nature of the beast. Not the beast. Sorry, ladies. That's a particularly masculine way of speaking, I guess. I need to live with you all in an understanding way. Uh... No, I'm sorry. You need to stop doing that. Your wife is a godly woman, and you need to start with that presumption. And that she's going to obey your instruction and learn from you willingly. But you need, not, you need to stop praying that your godly wife takes on part of what God has established as your role. And that's the Christianized type of prayer requests that pastors often hear from husbands who are having a tough time. Tough times are inevitable. Instead, if we're honoring our wives as a fellow heir of the grace of life and we are living according to the knowledge that God has given us about our role in marriage, our prayer requests for ourselves and our prayer lines for ourselves, men, and we do have men's events where we pray for each other. So we need to understand this, that 
the, the nature of our prayers for ourselves and for other men should be this, for courage, for wisdom, and strength to embrace the totality of what God has given us, the role that he has given us in our marriage, in our lives, our marriages, and our families. It was a long one verse, wasn't it? Guys, if you think and you see men going through a tough time in their marriage or in their lives, pray for those things for them. Pray for those things. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that even though this is one verse, that it entirely orients us towards our responsibilities and our roles that are designed to bring us joy in this life and to help us fulfill our obligations as choice aliens in this world. Father, we, we understand the preciousness of our purpose to you, and we we hope to know more and more the preciousness of your purpose in our own lives. We thank you for it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you join us again as we sing? Sins and what.